0: Hey, everyone, welcome to another episode of Leadership Now with me, Dan Pontifrac, in the house. Oh, gosh, I've been waiting for this one for a very long time. Liz Wiseman, who I would say uh, possibly my sister from another mister um, in the HR talent, ex-CLO space, uh, just a master at what she does, a bio, and then we're going to get into a, a delightful conversation. So Liz is a researcher an executive advisor who teaches leadership to top organizations worldwide. She wrote the New York Times bestsellers, Multipliers and the Multiplier Effect, and Wall Street Journal bestsellers, Rookie Smarts, and Impact Players. Liz is the CEO of the Wiseman Group, a leadership research and development firm headquartered in Silicon Valley. Some of her clients include the likes of... Apple, AT&T, Disney, Meta, Google, Microsoft, Nike, Salesforce, Tesla, and X, formerly known as Twitter. Liz has received the Top Achievement Award for Leadership from Thinkers 50. She's also been consistently named one of the world's leading 50 management thinkers in its biannual rankings. Liz has conducted significant research in leadership and talent development. She writes for Harvard Business Review, Fortune, and various other business and leadership journals, and is a frequent guest lecturer at Brigham Young University and Stanford University. She's the former executive at Oracle, where she worked as the vice president of Oracle University and the global leader for human resource development. Liz holds a bachelor's degree in business management and master's in organizational behavior from BYU. Liz, so good of you to be here today. Oh my gosh, so much to cover. Thank you for this. Why don't we start, for those that may not know your work because they've been living under a rock with some sort of fungus, um, diminishers versus multipliers. So, From multipliers and multiplier effect, diminishers, you're basically saying from a definition perspective, if I could paraphrase, right? Leaders who kind of, they drain intelligence, the energy, kind of the capability, right, from people around them. But multipliers use their intelligence to amplify the, quote, smarts and the capabilities of people around them. In this day and age, (laughs) where are we with this, given such, it seems, I don't know, almost dichotomous leadership angst between the us and the thems like the senior leaders and the people wanting a different type of culture in their organizations today that's a doozy but uh we'll start there liz
1: mm, well you know i wish i could say in the last decade we have rid the world of diminishing bosses and you know in many ways that's where i started this on a bit of a i don't know a, a mission to you know rid the world of diminishing bosses uh, i think we still have diminishing leadership mm-hmm. in our workplace more of it is taking the form of accidental diminishing you know i think we in many many parts of the world and many parts of the corporate landscape you know that tyrannical narcissistic bully micromanaging boss is out of vogue <laughs> and you know i'd like to think that dan your work my work and and the work of you know so many people around the world has helped to change the norm for the kind of leadership we need and the kind of leadership people should expect and deserve but we still have a lot of accidental diminishing um the pandemic did not help this dynamic much you know the accidental diminisher isn't the narcissist with the sort of superiority complex mm. it's It's the leader who's um, a little too helpful, maybe a little too supportive, a little too quick, a little too fast moving. And, you know, crisis mode can tend to put us into this accidental diminishing mode, which comes from the best of intentions, but it still has the same diminishing impact. You know, people hold back, they play it safe, um, they kind of look upward. For guidance, for answers, for innovation, and they get in this implementation execution mode, and the I, you know, the pandemic kind of brought this out in a lot of us as we were trying to support and be helpful and um, kind of hold people's hand through a very difficult phase of work in life.
0: Did we, Liz, become, in your opinion, too empathetic, like too kind, too nice? And if so, uh, was that almost it just had to happen because of what we went through with the pandemic. And and then, so where do you think we are now between, again, that leader versus team member uh, dichotomy?
1: Well, I, 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 I want to go on record <laughs> as saying, like, we need empathetic leaders. Like, you know, <laughs> being empathetic is not inappropriate. It's when we stay in that phase too long. So let me yeah. give you an example is, um, You know, when the pandemic hit my team, there were a number of um, working parents, young children, and they were just, they had had it to hear, trying to homeschool their children in a foreign language because, Mm. you know, they were trying to raise bilingual children and they're trying to monitor that. They're trying to work and they're tapped out. And I had a number of people come to me like, I remember this one person, you know, she said, I just can't do anything hard right now. Like I can keep working, I just can't do anything really that taxing or demanding. And I'm like, I got gotcha. you. Don't worry. Like I can do that. My kids are grown. I, my, my fourth was, I think in his junior year of high school, like he knew how to log into zoom, et cetera. And so I absorbed that burden for people. And I thought that I was doing the right thing and heroic, and it was probably the right thing for a moment, but then I start to be doing the hard work and other people are doing the easy work. And then I'm Mm. not doing it necessarily joyfully anymore. Now I'm like starting to build some resentment, which is wait a minute. Like how come so much is sitting on my shoulders or then people just got used to it. And it took, I had to like snap out of this mode and be watchful for as soon as people are ready to handle more, like, you know, where they're, they're, personal life is now at a place where they can absorb that to make sure that people are getting like a, a steady dose of challenge and meaningful work and purposeful work rather than just surviving at work. And so that's that's what it looked like for me. And I think it took um, a different form for lots of people, but it was pretty easy to end up accidentally diminishing. And, and particularly as our world is our work world is becoming more and more um, chaotic, ambiguous, uncertain as that's becoming the norm, it's really easy for managers to assume, okay, I've got to um, absorb that. I've got to deal with all that ambiguity and provide clarity for people. And, you know, what we really need to do is rather than like lean on leaders for all the answers is, How do we lead a team that can navigate uncertainty and ambiguity brilliantly together?
0: It's a really interesting point because here we are recording in the fall of 2023. And so we're, you know, um, two and a half years-ish out of lockdown when we were pretty hard-pressed and sort of two years out of you know, the, the height of really not knowing, are we have vaccines? We have not have vaccines. How do we do this thing? And so, you know, we, we learned a lot in 2021 about ourselves and about our organizations. And then 2022 came around and some might argue certainly into 2023, that some, I guess, boomerang leadership effects were occurring where, you know, we're hauling people back into the office, uh, whatever that means for an organization So I'm curious between, you know, a diminisher, an accidental diminisher and a multiplier, where are you seeing the, I guess, the good and the not so good of applying these techniques when there is clearly an increase still in anxiety and stress and loneliness and burnout, whether it's Dr. Vivek Murthy, the Surgeon General of the U.S., whether it's the World Health Organization, whether it's the Gallup data, your own HBR data uh, is from you and your colleagues have uh, found from research. Like it doesn't seem to be getting, quote, better societally. So without knowing necessarily where we need to go, that's not my question. What do you think we're today? today? I and mean, then we can get into some future planning.
1: Well, I think... Um, I think we're making a gross miscalculation, and I'm not sure this has anything to do with diminishing or multiplying. But you know what I'm seeing is so many organizations, their leadership trying to call people back to work. It's like, okay, pandemic—that's in the rearview mirror. How do we get back to normal? Rather than figure out what the new norm should look like, mm-hmm. and you know, damn this that I get, you know, this is actually a scene. It's a movie scene. And it, <laughs> keep, it kept coming to mind after I had my first child. And I remember this sense of after having my first child, it was like so disorienting. And I'm like a couple months into this. And I'm thinking like, when do I go back to my old life? Like where things were calm and I had a good night's sleep and all of that. And then I realized, oh, this is very much like the scene from the original, the OG planet of the apes where charlton heston do you know this scene
0: i do i know where exactly you're where you're going
1: <laughs> you know where are going with it okay so it's the scene where charlton heston has been battling you know this this you know and he's on this planet of the apes and he's trying to get off this planet and i don't know space travel time travel back to earth and that's the plot of the whole movie i guess yeah. this is a spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't watched this movie from what the 70s yeah. or something and there's that scene where he's he's like riding down the beach or with a horse and out like rising up from the sand is the remnants of the statue of liberty and he realizes that he's on the earth that the earth's like been taken over like it is now the planet of the apes there's no going back there's just figuring out how to how do you move forward in this strange world you found yourself in and that that There's some of this going on right now where managers and companies are like, hey, let's go, like the pandemic's over, let's go back to earth, let's go back to the way things people are. And, and, and Jen, you know this, you know, well, you've studied this, is that this was a, a wake up call for a lot of people, a chance to introspect, a chance to ask questions, a chance to experience the integration of personal life and work life differently, maybe finding more harmony in that, or maybe finding more stress in that. And so I think the miscalculation so many managers are making is instead of trying to figure out, okay, how do we use this collective global crisis as an opportunity to redefine what a great workplace looks like and what a great work experience looks like, people are trying to go back to, to the old ways, which I think is a massive miscalculation. And, you know, I, I think that we're also making some miscalculations about how do we really get people back to a full level of contribution? Because, Mm -hmm. you know, what I I see in in my work and my research is the extremes are exhausting. And, Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is like extreme overwork, is exhausting, and it can lead to burnout and lack of wellness, but so is underutilization. Mm -hmm. And that's what I think I've learned, you know, studying these multiplier and diminisher leaders is that when people are under-contributing, not by their choice, but by environment and by leadership, you know, when they're working hard, but underutilized, that leads to burnout and, and it's certainly what I've learned studying the impact players of the workplace is that we don't tend to burn out because we're contributing too much. We tend to burn out for lack of impact. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I think collectively we need to do is define what does the new world of work look like and what can we create together in this new work experience? And how do we create an environment where people can contribute at their fullest in a way that they experience exhilaration from work rather than exhaustion from work. And I, th- I think that's the opportunity. And you know, we see organizations and leaders doing it, and we see others scratching their head going, How do I get off the planet of the apes, you know, and get back to work, back to Earth?
0: So oh, to mix Have Charlton I ruined this
1: movie now for some people. I hope not.
0: Well, to mix Charlton Heston movies, right? Not over my dead cold. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to try to uh, integrate and correlate and uh, assemble some other parts of your body work. So before impact players, but staying on the same thread of where are we now? And, and I loved how you uh, alluded to the fact that there is, you know, um, almost like a deleterious situation that we're in the midst of Um, you've written about another really good dichotomy and that's the tyrant versus the liberator. And so it dawned on me if the tyrants are those that create very tense environments that's basically suppressing uh, people's feelings, their thinking, their capabilities, and sort of, you know, thus people holding back or now they're either – quiet quitting They're rage applying they're doing all these weird things because they're like well my boss doesn't get me my organization doesn't get me and i just want this new day to be a new way of work i don't want to go back to the boomerang old i don't want to go back to that planet or whatever right Um, but then the liberators are leaders whom really get that you know people's best thinking their work the boldest thinking etc that you've written about you know, that's the the new way, let's say. And so help me understand then what, what we need less tyrants thinking through how we might involve people in the creation of this net new type of future of work and less or more liberator, sorry. Or so help me understand the two definitions and where we might apply these and kind of the thinking through what this new day may look like. Hmm.
1: Well, I, I chose the term tyrant. You know, because not only these diminishers, some of them are these hot-headed, yelling, stapler-throwing kind of leaders, but that's really the minority. Like most are just leaders who exude stress. Okay. They share stress, and the image I always get on this one is, this is going back to the nineteen seventies as well. Would be that Peanuts cartoon strip where there's that character pig pen that Mm -hmm. just everywhere he goes, he carries this cloud of dust and dirt with him. And I think a lot of leaders are carrying this cloud of stress with them. And as our work environment is getting more ambiguous and more uncertain and cycles are spinning faster and it's hard for any one leader to know what they need to know, like it's really easy to just be a ball of stress. And we know what happens to our our, our minds, our ability to do um, clear thinking and reasoning and handle trade-offs and dilemmas and paradoxes and all that kind of higher level of thinking, it just shuts down around these environments of stress. You know, the the best leaders are, are liberators, not that they create just like, hey, do whatever, knock yourself out. It's not this hippie free-for-all kind of leadership. Um, I have to clarify that I, I, you know, I'm a native Californian, so I'm probably prone to hippie logic, but it's not this, this free for all of creativity. It's, it's this, it's an exchange. It's a deal. And the deal is I'm going to give you some space. I'm going to give you some freedom, but I'm also going to give you the accountability that goes with that. Like, I'm going to give you space to speak up. To speak out. I'm going to give you space to think. One of the things um, that I started to do really differently after that research was I stopped. Well, I can't say I stopped. I I gave people more time to gather their thoughts and to prep before discussing things. I love to just like, you know, hey, rapid fire, what about this? What about that? And I realized, you know, a lot of people want some quiet and uh, some time to gather their thoughts, to gather evidence. So I started sending out meeting agendas in advance, like several days in advance, rather than kind of calling people on the carpet, like, hey, what do you think about this? And um, And I started sending out a list of questions rather than a list of topics. And it was all this idea of giving people time, hmm. some space to gather thinking um, and to present an argument or an idea, but it's giving people space to speak up, space to make mistakes, space to recover, space to learn. But it's like, I'm going to give you space. But in exchange for that, I want your best thinking. Like I'm going to send you the event agenda a couple days in advance and a set of questions, but implied in that is I want you to come in with ideas and prepare to discuss this in in, you know, heavy and hard hitting ways. And you know, it's it's creating an environment that is intense rather than tense. And I, I pull, think, you know, we tend to back away from tense environments. We're like, mm, no, thank you.
0: I pulled uh, several quotes from some of your books, and I thought I'll pull up one now because it's just so apropos to what you've just said, Liz. So for multipliers, you say, a quote, Multipliers understand that people grow through challenge, they understand that intelligence grows by being stretched and tested. So even if the leader has a clear vision of the direction, he or she doesn't just give it to people. Multipliers don't just give answers, they provide just enough information to prove thinking and to help people discover and to see the opportunity for themselves. They begin a process of discovery. And what I think you're doing there is saying, look, the space is needed. Yes. Here's generally what we may be thinking about, but I want to give you time. I want to give you space and to help them in that path of discovery. Is that, is that fair kind of adding on to what you're alluding to?
1: Well, it absolutely is. It's it's asking a question and then having the patience to not having the discipline and the restraint to not answer it yourself Mm -hmm. and to let a little space occur, let a couple days go by as, or weeks, or, you know, maybe it's months in some business cycles for people to find answers. And, you know, you can look at it two ways. It's one is I'm giving people space, some like elbow room, some room to breathe, like some air for their brain to think, but you can also look at it as, um, the leader's creating a vacuum. Mm-hmm. Like that, um, like the sense of a pregnant pause, like this idea of like, I'm going to ask a question and then I'm not going to answer it, which means I'm going to create some awkward silence or some tension on our team, which is like, okay, we have an unanswered question. Like that should make us uncomfortable. Like in you know, it's this fun paradox Is I think we tend to do our best work when we have this equilibrium between being comfortable and uncomfortable. You know, comfortable enough, like I feel included, I belong, I've got psychological safety, you know, I've got a laptop that works, I've got, you know, high speed, connect, whatever, like all those necessities. But just uncomfortable enough that we can't. Answer the questions with our existing knowledge that we've got to we've got to learn, we've got to experiment, we've got to try, we've got to fail at things. Like that's a discomfort. And mm-hmm. when leaders create, I don't know if those are an equal mix, but some harmony or equilibrium between it, people tend to rise to the occasion.
0: So on this thread, Liz. The notion of being uncomfortable or comfortable with being uncomfortable, um, it's also dawned on me that when we kind of take a look at where leaders and team members are with respect to their stress levels, when I say by stress, I want to hone in on the busyness factor. Like It just seems to me, at least in my research and work, there's a hell of a lot of busy people out there and Mm. there's a lot of doing and so although i'm a huge proponent of what you're suggesting and in fact um try to try my ways in which to help leaders and organizations see that you do have to have time and pause and pregnant pauses and uh, what i call marinate in the moment yeah, <laughs> opportunities yeah so Where do you like, what do we need to be doing then more so that we're not always on and expediting every level of execution and back to back to back and doing a suggestion like you've made already today, which is, you know, agendas in advance, which seems, you know, innocuously small, but it's so important. Like, what what do we need to do to help leaders see that there's a lot of people drowning in the busyness factor? Mm.
1: Yeah and, yeah. and I think it's even worse than that. If I could complicate it further is I think there's a lot of people who are extremely busy, but they're also bored.
0: Uh, okay.
1: And, and so, you know, I, I think, you know, we talk about like job number one of the leader is, is vision and to have a vision and, you know, that's true, but I think really job number one of the leader is focus. It's a different kind of vision it's like okay here's this vision of where we need to be which is more and more difficult for leaders to do because so often right now we are leading our teams not to a better place like oh here I know where we're going I know what it looks like take my hand I will take you there That does not define much of the leadership job right now. It's more like, I don't entirely know where we're going, but I know we can't keep doing what we're doing. We have to leave the comfort of a status quo and we've got a journey to a new place. And so we're going to go figure that out together. That's more, more of the visionary job. It's creating an environment where people have to build a collective vision, like, okay, What's going on? What's wrong with what we're doing today? What do we need to do? Like what's happening here? What's happening there? It's more like leading a special ops kind of team, which is yeah. like we're working in the cover of darkness and we've got to go like rescue someone and we don't have all the information we need, but we have to build the trust, the communication. And and like leading kind of a, a special operation, it's about focus. It's about defining the mission. Like here's what's important. And here's what's important now because it's changing really fast. Um, And, and I think I I call these like the wins, like what's important now. And I think that is the number one job of leader is to communicate. Here's what's important. Here's why it's important. And here's what's important now, meaning it continues to evolve. I mean, very few of us do work where like you set goals for the year and you're still working on that same work at the end of that quarter or year, it's like that usually has morphed over time. Well, it looks yeah. a little differently. Okay, the situation has changed. Our budgets are changing. The players are changing. Um, And so letting people know here's where to channel your intellect, your capability. Here's where to put your focus, which also means like all this other stuff, periphery, noise, like, You know, some of it is busy work that we have to do, but it's like, don't let it consume the best of your mental faculties.
0: Mm. Well, to thread in another part of your great work, um, I couldn't help but think that uh, Microsoft was aided and abetted by your work. And you don't have to name drop if uh, that's not the case. But the CEO, Satya Nadella, famously said, you know, we need to shift from being a bunch of know-it-alls to a bunch of learn-it-alls. And your know-it-all versus challengers dichotomy actually speaks to that point where if we are know-it-alls, quote, at the top, and we think we're geniuses and not that we're here to actually um, be genius makers, to sort of take, take in another piece to your great work. Tell me a bit about then how we going forward um, can be challengers in this sort of open way without being overly empathetic and taking on the burden of everyone's pain and suffering, et cetera, as that's going on with the busyness factor. So sort of challenging you to sort of help me understand challengers versus know-it-alls. And in this context of, hey, we still got some work to do here to help people through, you know, what we're trying to achieve in these organizations.
1: Well, Dan, I agree. You know, Microsoft has done a phenomenal job of this and you know a lot of organizations espouse it but they really have taken kind of the notion some of that comes from um rookie smarts yeah my work a lot that comes from like carol Dweck's work with growth mindset and there's a lot of factors but i i have a lot of admiration um f- for the way that they have taken that idea and i think what nadella did better than anything was great. Like this is the the skill that we have to build. And you know what does it look like? It, it it looks like as a leader, you know, asking more questions than providing answers. And it's also about mastering the art of stretch. Mm. And you know because you you can you can be a diminishing leader because you don't give people stretch. You know, you you giving people work in their wheelhouse, it's stuff they know how to do. They can do it in their sleep. And, you know, we shouldn't be surprised when you give people work that they can do in their sleep, that work becomes kind of tiring and, and exhausted. And you kind of have that, I don't know, like we could go on with the metaphor sleepwalking and work is a nightmare. And, you know, we could kind of go down that path, but you can also have a diminishing effect by overstretching, by asking people to do work that breaks them. And I've done this before. Like I have in my own management experience, I have, I have broken people and I've watched it happen. And it's not something I'm proud of. Um, or you could ask people and by broken, I mean, like they, they, they failed at it and it wasn't like Mm -hmm. a little failure that leads to success. It was disheartening or, um, it just was too much and. Okay. I'm sorry. I was reliving just a little bit of the guilt of those experiences, um, Uh, but I've learned from that but it's also like sometimes asking people to do something so ridiculous like we're gonna shoot for the moon and so we're gonna capture this market by the end of the quarter and and it's disheartening in advance because people know it's something that they're going to collectively fail at and you get um Mm -hmm. I kind of call it that flip chart phenomenon where a group of people sit around a flip chart during a training program and they write like all these aspirations and what they want and they know as they're writing it on that whiteboard or flip chart they know they're not going to succeed as a team that it's blue sky thinking and so they they give up before they they start and both of those have a diminishing effect and and so I think the art form for, for leaders is to know how to size that stretch. Right. And, and some of that is universal, like being able to read your team and know like, where is that tension point where it's like, I think that universal tension point is kind of like where a group or an individual has just enough skill and capability and know how to start something Mm -hmm. and get it going, but not quite enough to finish it meaning to succeed and get it across the finish line. That's where you've got to learn and innovate and grow. Like that's that's kind of the tension point you want, but it's also different for each person and figuring out like how much challenge someone is ready for and, and can handle is I think fairly individual. And I think as a leader, you can either be um, a mind reader and clairvoyant and be a great, you know, be astute observer of of that. Or you can just ask people simple questions like, like, what's the degree of challenge that's right for you right now? Like, you know, what would be something that would make you um, a little bit uncomfortable, but totally excited? Or what's the challenge you wish we were asking you to do? Like, what are you up for? And people will tell you. And, and my experience is people are really honest about that. And and I think we as leaders need, there's a really important piece of self-awareness, which is, do you tend to be an overstretcher or an understretcher? Like what's your default position? I know for me, and I think my days at Oracle did this to me, is I tend to be an overstretcher. I am more likely to break people than to bore people. Other people might be... Um, bigger hearted than me, like really empathetic and, and like, Oh no, I don't want to ask them to do that. That they don't know how to do that. That might make them uncomfortable. Like, Oh, they seem, they seem busy, but then people can languish because like they're just turning a crank. So Dan, what, what about you? Or do you tend to be an overstretcher or an understretcher?
0: I'm an overstretcher, definitely overstretcher, both as an individual and then the teams I was leading because there's always something else to tackle. Right. And, you know, my opinion is um, not to work people to their, uh, to their death, but it's like, I'm also interested in the development of the human being and the individual. So I want to push you. I would like to see you stretch because I know that there may be untapped hidden potential there that you don't know about. So let's dig a little, let's open up Pandora's box, so to say, and ask the, ask the questions about you and our team and our org so that we're all kind of aligned to say, yeah, we can go do this. Yeah. Mm
1: -hmm. And so, and that makes sense. And I can see that, you know, in you and I think leaders like you and me need to be aware of that and, and have like a calibration to keep pulling that, making sure we're not, we're not breaking people.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Burning people out from like just that constant steep learning curve. Like we all need plateaus and they don't need to be very long but you know we need a steady diet of challenge but we also need moments of rest and recovery and and ease to be ready for one but you know other leaders need to be asking a different set of questions like um you know what would be a challenge you're um interested in you know what's the degree of hard are you ready for something new what do you want to sink your teeth into
0: And it does go back, it goes back back to, um, it goes back to vulnerability. Like what you're suggesting is that openness that a leader needs. Like you, if there's a leader that's so, um, rigid and closed minded, and again, back to some of the like tyrant language and other languages, like closed decision makers, et cetera, that you've used, if they're, they're diminishers, like effectively, they're not being open and vulnerable to the, Hey, what, 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 how are you? What? What is in the way? Is there something else you want to talk about? And that's what you do so well in your in your research and your writing and everything you're doing. You're sort of poking the bear of a leader, of an individual to also say, don't forget about being open <laughs> to these ideas.
1: Or like forget in some ways, like forget all of the management models, forget management <laughs> books, ignore all my work. I can't tell people to ignore your work. I I can tell like, don't read the books. Don't try weird stuff. Like just be a human. And there's sort of two things that when they come together is like when managers let people know their intent. So like back to this idea of um, like learn it all versus know it all and a leader as, as challenger, rather than like Try to figure out what challenge, like, just ask people or tell people, like, you know, I want to make sure you've got a healthy amount of challenge and learning here. So that work is interesting, but I don't want to like make this so difficult that you break. Like, that's not in your interest or my interest. So, what I want to do is, I want to, you know, like, everyone's got to have some of the work that's just kind of quotidian mundane, like we all have our portion of that, but everyone should have a degree of excitement and challenge and meaning and purpose. So like, let's set this so that you have that right degree of challenge. Like that is not a hard conversation to have. That is like just sharing with people your intent for them. And then when we can couple that with asking people like, what do you need to be able to do your best work? People will generally tell you this. So I don't think you need a lot of management gobbledygook to to be able to like get to this sweet pot spot where everyone's thinking, of, um, like working off the same agenda.
0: Liz, I think we're going to title this podcast "Don't Read Our Books."
1: Don't <laughs> just, read our books.
0: Just be human.
1: <laughs> just be. Yeah, just be human. Just you. Just just do you.
0: Yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah, Just do Do you.
1: Uh,
0: Time flies, but uh, wow, did I have fun. And this is so long overdue. And um, geez, uh, thank you, Liz. Where can we find out more about Liz and the Wiseman group, please?
1: Well, I kind of feel like I I, I can't say that because I just said, (laughs) don't read the books.
0: Come on. We're going to add it to the show notes anyway. Please tell us.
1: (laughs) We'll put them in the show notes. (laughs)
0: Oh, I Liz. feel like
1: it would be hypocritical.
0: Okay, <laughs> right. we'll leave it at that. Uh, such a treat for those that are listening or watching, the one and only Liz Wiseman, who of course, multi bestseller of Wall Street Journal, New York Times um, books, such as Multipliers, The Multiplier Effect, uh, Ricky Smarts and Impact Players. Liz, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you for this. Thank you for your authenticity and awesomeness. And uh, I look forward to clinking a glass, wherever that might be in the future.
1: Well, it's it's a pleasure to be in this conversation with you and congratulations on your new book.
0: Thank you. And nice. everyone
1: should go out and read that.
0: <laughs> Remember, it's a don't buy our book show. Put that <laughs> in the show notes. Oh my gosh. All right. Thanks again, everyone. I More enjoyed episode. reading
1: your book. And, and, you, and, 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 and anyone listening, um, if you see, look at the back of the book, you'll see um, a, a, a blurb from me, but I think it's a wonderful piece to look at what is it that we need to do to live and work holistically and not only contribute, but grow from that. And that speaks right to the heart of why I like work and why I like leading and why I think this needs to be a joyful part of our lives. So congratulations.
0: Well, from one recovering CLO of a corpio to another, thank you so much, Liz. It means a lot. And uh, everyone, the great Liz Wiseman, uh, another episode of Leadership Now. Thanks all.